Well, we have been in uh, the Gospel of Matthew or uh, Gospel of Mark. And as we've been in the Gospel of Mark, uh, we're now in chapter two. We made it all the way through one chapter as we uh, spend, uh, spend a year here in this Gospel. And we have seen, and, and uh, we hark it back to verse 15, and at the end, this will be on the test, okay? It's not going to be a real test, but this will be on the test. Verse 15 of chapter 1 tells us all we need to know about what Jesus is proclaiming in the Gospel of Mark. Now is the time. Here, go, here comes God's kingdom. God's kingdom is breaking into the world, and we are seeing what has happened. And Jesus steps forth as God with flesh on, and he is baptized and then tempted in the wilderness. He's proclaiming the good news. He builds his team. He confronts evil. He heals the sick. And he even last week, he redeemed the wilderness and found rest there and prayer instead. And he makes the unclean clean again. And so you will imagine now what? What's the next step? Well, people are starting to notice now. And now crowds are beginning to show up. And so let's open to Mark chapter 2 and hear the word of the Lord this morning from the first portion of this chapter. Mark chapter 2. After a few days, Jesus went back to Capernaum and people heard that he was at home. So many gathered that there was no longer space, not even near the door. Jesus was speaking the word to them. Some people arrived, and four of them were bringing to him a man who was paralyzed. They couldn't carry him through the crowd, so they tore off part of the roof above where Jesus was. When they had made an opening, they lowered the mat on which the paralyzed man was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Child, your sins are forgiven. Some legal experts were sitting there muttering among themselves, Why does he speak this way? He's insulting God. Only the one God can forgive sins. Jesus immediately recognized what they were discussing. And he said to them, why do you fill your minds with these questions? Which is easier, to say to a paralyzed person, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your bed, and walk? But so you will know that the human one has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, get up, take your mat, and go home. Jesus raised him up, and right away he picked up his mat, walked out in front of everybody, they were all amazed and praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. Whew, I love this story. This is one of those classic Sunday school stories you hear, the cutting through the roof, and you can just imagine what that was like, and good thing Jesus was a carpenter, I, I suppose, is what is going on here? But what we have is a crowd right off the bat. Jesus is now drawing crowds. And we saw a little bit of that last week, but now there's so many you can't even get in the door. And it got me thinking as I was pouring over this this week, it got me thinking, what draws a crowd these days? What are the things that get people excited? What, what, what draws a crowd? I remember in my background as a, one time I was a sports writer before I became a pastor. And as a sports writer, I covered minor league baseball. And minor league baseball no one goes to watch baseball, <laughs> as some do. There are some purists out there who just love the game and want to go see. But the majority of fans at a minor league baseball game, well, they're there to have some fun. And what draws the crowd in? The Wichita Wind Surge, they're the nearest minor league baseball team. They're up in, in Wichita. It's such a fun place to be. I, I love going when the weather's nice, when it's warm. 
uh, to go to a, to a ball game. I'm looking forward to when the season starts up. But last year, the highest attended game for the Wichita Wind Surge was in August. It was seven, a little over 7,700 people at the Wichita Wind Surge game. And do you know why they were there? What they were doing that night, it was a fireworks night. They were setting off fireworks. That draws a crowd. When you can get baseball and fireworks, oh, that was awesome. Now, what happened that night, the biggest attended night of the year, the pitcher for the Wichita Winsters threw a no-hitter, and the game ended so quickly, you have to wait a little bit till it gets dark. <laughs> but they got it done, and they got the, the fireworks set off. But this, that's what drew a crowd for minor league baseball, is you get out of fireworks. Of course, today we've mentioned it. Today's Super Bowl Sunday. Today's the Super Bowl. You think a crowd will be there? <laughs> I, I think so. Last year, a little over 70,000 people attended uh, the Super Bowl. Um, that was in L.A. This year, it's in Phoenix and State Farm Stadium. There's even more uh, uh, seats in, in that stadium. But even in the NFL, if, if you look, one, one way to judge the, the popularity of a team is to look at attendance numbers. And it's hard to judge because some stadiums are bigger than others. But what, what it's interesting to look at is road attendance. So when a team goes on the road, do fans show up to see that team? You know, what's road attendance? There were four NFL teams this year who sold out every game they went to on the road. Every road game was sold out. Only four teams. The Chiefs were one of them. Buffalo Bills, Miami Dolphins, and San Francisco 49ers. All of them playoff teams. Meaning, when the good team, when the, when the team that's winning, when, the, when there's a quality team coming to town, you, fans will go see them. There's only, only four teams, and those were the four teams. So maybe, you know, quality sports, people, people will show up for that. People will show up for a crowd. But I don't want to just talk about sports today. Okay, so let's consider what, what are other things that draw in crowds? Concerts. Music concerts, okay? Your favorite artist. I'm wondering, and I've got a prize for the person who, who could guess this or knows this or maybe can Google it the quickest. I, I, I don't know. What was the highest attended concert in the United States in 2022? The highest attended concert in 2022 in the United States. We have a Harry Styles guest. No, not Harry Styles. Very popular. I'm, I'm having a hard time hearing, though. Call him out. Celine Dion, no. For King and Country, no. Very popular. Taylor Swift, I, I would have guessed that one, no. K-pop, is that what it hurt, no. Okay, hint. One, it took place in Louisiana. The largest concert in 2022 took place in Louisiana. Dirks Bentley. Bentley, no. No, not Mardi Gras. Garth Brooks, well done. I will, you have, you win the prize Man, I didn't even get through all my hints yet. Okay. We have a First Church of Nazarene cup and a men of God uh, tape measure. <laughs> there you go. Excellent. Yeah, well done. Can you believe Garth Brooks, the new guy on the scene, right? No. Garth Brooks in, in 20, and I don't remember the exact date, but, and you can, you can Google this. You can look this up. Baton Rouge, Louisiana. When Garth Brooks sang Colin Baton Rouge, 
The operator, won't you put me on through? I got to send my love down to Baton Rouge. Hurry up. Won't you put her on the line? Got to talk to my girls just one more time. 102,000 Louisianans lost their minds. And it's, you, can, you can see the, it's on social media. It is just goosebumps moment. 102,000 people attended. It was in, uh, is it Death Valley, I think, is where LSU plays. That's, that's where it was. And just this amazing concert. So what draws a crowd these days? <laughs> get some fireworks. Get some good, I don't know, quality football teams. Or 90s country music. <laughs> Interesting to see what, what draws a crowd these days. But here in Mark chapter 2, we, we're, we're drawing a crowd now. Jesus drew the crowd. And verse 2 describes a sellout crowd. They didn't, they didn't sell tickets, but it's a capa full capacity. So many gathered in verse 2. So many gathered that there was no longer space, not even near the door. And Why? Not because Jesus is shooting off fireworks. Not because he's some celebrity or athlete. And he didn't even sing 90s country music. Mark tells us why the crowds came with the rest of verse 2. I've got this underlined in my Bible. You might want to underline, highlight it. Jesus was speaking the word to them. Jesus was speaking the word to them. I think it's very fitting to say this on Super Bowl Sunday. The most important thing you will hear all day long is the word of God. The most important thing you will hear even on this day is the word of God. You will hear other things today. You'll see other things today. And some of them will be fun, entertaining. There might be some stuff you see and hear that's even good. There's, there's a commercial today in the Super Bowl. You have to look for it. It's Christian even. There's a Christian commercial in the Super Bowl today. There's some good things you'll hear today. There's some things that maybe really aren't all that good. And some of it might even glorify some things that ought not to be glorified. But I hope we can be a people who recognize the value of gathering to hear the word of the Lord spoken. And even on Super Bowl Sunday, this is the most important thing we'll hear today. And it is not my words. It's not me speaking. It is the word of the Lord to be, to be spoken. And if I can even break that out a little bit more, the, the, the Greek word here for Jesus speaking the word to them is not preaching. It's actually not preaching. Preaching is a bad translation there. It's more speaking the word. There is a Greek word for preaching. Mark doesn't use that word. He uses the word for speaking, meaning anyone can speak the word of the Lord. It does not take a mighty sermon to hear the word of the Lord. It is spoken amongst each other, spoken in accountability, spoken in community, spoken in friendship. Speak the word of the Lord to each other. That is so important. And I love that it draws a crowd. What can happen when the word is spoken? I, I know it was a long scripture I had Wayne read this morning. I picked that one out. It was long, 14 verses. You had to stand up the whole time. But did you hear the word of the Lord? Did you hear what the word can do? It's this creepy, weird story. Dry bones in a valley and they're just scattered. 
and the difference between dry bones. You ever feel like you're just a bag of dry bones? <laughs> ever, ugh, just, I just feel like a bag of bones today. But when they prophesy, prophesy means when the word of the Lord is spoken. When the words are prophesied, those dry bones do not remain dry bones. You don't just remain blah. When the word is spoken, when the breath enters these dry, oh my goodness, there is life. And it talks about the sinews and the, the tendons and the ligaments and the muscles and it all comes together. And the only difference between a dry bones and living, breathing bodies and people it's the word of the Lord being spoken. Oh, what a story. It should draw a crowd. And so Jesus was speaking the word to them. And so we've got now this paralyzed man, and he can't get through. There's such a big crowd. But with all due respect to Garth Brooks, this man, he's got friends in high places. They get up on the roof. I was hoping you would get that. Thank you for the general chuckle. They are not going to be stopped by the inconvenience of a large crowd. Let's go to the roof. And I wish we had more details. Mark doesn't always give a bunch of details. And, and the details he does give, that's what matters. And, but I'd like to know, what were they thinking? What was the internal dialogue? Did the four guys huddle up and try to figure out what's going on? The discussion that led these men to not just cut a hole in someone's roof, but to lower an already injured man down there. And I suppose there's some practicality to it. I, did one of them said, you know, isn't this dangerous? And, and the other one said, well, he's paralyzed. What is he going to do, break his leg? It's fine. Let's just put him down there. But if, you know, they, they, they just drop him down, and Jesus cannot ignore what has just happened. And verse 5, the wording is very interesting. Jesus saw their faith. Not specifically the paralytic man's faith. He actually just kind of laid there. But he said to the paralytic, your child, your sins are forgiven. Mark tells us it's not the faith of the paralyzed man, it's their faith. A faith that overcomes obstacles. I hope you have friends like this. I hope you have friends with faith enough to do something about it. Meaning that they could have had faith that Jesus could do it, but they come up, oh, there's an obstacle. There's too many people. You know what? We tried. Sorry, buddy. Maybe we'll pray for you. And that's it. But no, this is a faith that overcomes obstacles. They didn't just hope for the best. They did something about it. That let's, let's go make this happen. I wonder if you have friends like this. I also wonder if you are a friend like this. Are you the type of friend who's going to come alongside your friend and say, let's make this happen? Let's overcome this obstacle. In faith, let's do this. Let's help you get better. Let's help you grow in your faith. There are two characteristics here that every follower of Jesus, I think, must consider, and we must be about the business of doing. And they kind of go along together, but they are distinct. Advocacy and intercession. Advocacy and intercession. 
These are selfless acts. These are not acts that are guaranteed to benefit you in any particular way. They are meant to bring blessing to others. But I believe the people of God are meant to advocate and meant to intercede for those who, who need it. Christians advocate for those who cannot speak for themselves. The example we had here was just here last night. Tim and Nellie Bertrand, missionaries, brand new missionaries, the call was put out. Venezuelans, the, Venezuela as a country is a mess and it's been a mess for a while. The economy is shot. There are uh, all types of financial problems there. And they described, and Tim and Nellie described how even families would, would go to the doctor with a sick kid and, and the dad was told, you know what, go try the vet. Maybe they have some medicine that might work. Dog medicine to give to your kid. That's all they had. Guys who couldn't get jobs, one guy said it, it must be, uh, it, it's, it's not a human right to, to be able to have food in Venezuela. If you're poor, you don't get food. And so Venezuelans are fleeing and they're going to different places, but one of the closest places is to get to Trinidad and Tobago, an island, a dual island nation. But it's seven miles off the coast of South America. Venezuela's in South America, but it's on the coast. And if you go seven miles out to sea, you will run into Trinidad and Tobago. What a treacherous journey that must be. It doesn't sound like much. Try to go swim seven miles today. How are you going to do? Seven miles in the open ocean. And, it, and, and the estimates are about 40,000 Venezuelans have attempted to do that, have successfully done that, whether in boats or rafts or whatever. And they emerge on a nation that is not welcoming them at all. That there's racism. If you don't have the right skin color, if you don't speak the right language, you are not an official human being in that country. And the Venezuelans are a different race and they speak a different language than Trinidad and Tobago. And so Tim and Nelly have been called, are being sent to the Nazarene churches in Trinidad and Tobago who know, who do have a conscience, who do know the word of God and know they're not supposed to be treated like that. No one should be treated like that but we, they don't know how to overcome their own society to help the refugees. So Tim and Nellie are going down to advocate for those who cannot advocate for themselves. What a, what a, what a mission. I'm thankful for Tim and Nellie. Will you join me in praying for them and helping them? Thank you for those who gave to help support them that they could get down there and meet those needs. Christians are to advocate for those who cannot speak up for themselves. We also intercede. We step in to help, to assist, to speak up on behalf of someone who otherwise could not. These four men were con confronted by the, the crowds. The paralyzed man could go no further. He could not do it on his own, but these men interceded for their friend. Let's get him to Jesus. And I wonder, are you the type of friend who will grab your loved one, your friend, and say, let's get you to Jesus? Let's make this happen. Let's get you the help I know you need. I know you can't get there on your own. That's why, you know what, if necessary, I'm going to carry you or lead you or show you the way or at the very least, live by example. Let me intercede for you. And one of the easiest ways, one of the ways to get started in this type of work is what we would call intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer is one of the best practices we can do as followers of Christ for a few reasons. One, suddenly my prayer is not about me. 
Prayer is a, just way too much about myself sometimes. God, here's what I want. Here's what I need. Here's the bad stuff. Deal with my bad stuff. Now give me some good stuff. In Jesus' name, amen. But what if, what if our prayers was, Lord, let me tell you about my friend. And this is what my friend's been going through. And I want to help. I don't know how to help. I don't know exactly the words to say. I don't know if they want help, but Lord, they need help. And so, Lord, intercede for them. And as it takes the focus off of us, man, it opens up our world to see a bigger picture, to be a blessing to others. And we can pray today. I pray on behalf of my friend. He needs help with this obstacle in life. She needs deliverance from evil. Intercessory prayer takes the focus off ourselves and puts the attention on someone else. And that someone else may not even be praying for them. Be that type of friend. Intercede for others in prayer. Had this man surrounded himself with friends who had no faith, would he still be paralyzed? This is how uh, one scholar, uh, A.L. Wood Sander, he puts it this way. We can put the words up on the screen. He says, it's, start, it's startling to consider how many needs are not met because no one cared or prayed or interceded when such caring was possible to someone. We are not meant to go through this world alone, to journey through life alone. And you wonder what good deed might have been left undone, what miracle might have been left undone because there was no one there to say, you know what, I know a God powerful enough to intercede in your life. Here's how one, uh, one theologian put it, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Sing this, these words like you mean it. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. What kind of friend are you? Are you willing to advocate and intercede for the lost? For your loved ones. The example we have from four, four men who are willing to take a chance. Maybe even damage some property. On behalf of their friend. It's good to have some friends in high places. There's also then, we move on, forgiveness and healing. Because we also find that similar to the story of the man we looked at last week, the man with the skin disease at the end of chapter one. Here we have a paralyzed man who finds healing, yes, but he actually even finds more than healing. The man with the skin disease was made clean and then healed. This paralyzed man, before he was healed, what did Jesus say? Your sins are forgiven. And once again, Jesus is not satisfied with just healing someone. He came to redeem and to restore. If all he did was heal this man, 
Yet this man went away carrying the burden of sin. It's still hard to walk. This man is improved, but he is not saved. But to forgive sins, well, I'll tell you, the legal experts, they got this one right in verse 7. Verse 7 says, only the one God can forgive sins. It's what the legal experts said. Only the one God can forgive sins. They're right. So what does that say about Jesus? He is the one God. He just put on some flesh. He just became man. And I get why that's difficult to understand. But verse 10 tells us all we need to know then. But so you will, be, but so you will know, Jesus' words, but so you will know that the human one, the son of man, this man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, get up, take your mat, and go home. Jesus is the human one, the son of man. He is a man, but he is also God with flesh on. With all the authority and power of God the Father led by the Spirit, this is not just a prophet, Mark says. This is not just a healer. This is the one, the only one who can forgive sins. And this is also then, this is the beginning of a few stories that we're going to see where Jesus has this power and authority and healing and he's performing miracles. But man, the legal experts, the Pharisees, the established religious leaders cannot get on board with this. They do not get it. And they are constantly in conflict with Jesus. And it's fascinating that Mark says it because it's not unbelievers. It's not the lost. It's not the sinners who have a problem with Jesus the church leaders it's the faith and religious leaders of the day that they miss it that terrifies me as a religious leader as one on the inside I hope that were Jesus to come along and move in ways that are that bring the kingdom of God that I wouldn't get in the way that I would jump in wholeheartedly but they, they don't. They butt heads time and time again. This is the first of many stories. The conflict with Jesus. I do not want to live my life in conflict with Jesus. And if Jesus surprises me, he surprises me. Let's, let's go. I want to get on board. And so I say this today to you. If you are in need of healing today, if you are in need of a healing, you can, you can be healed, but you can also be made whole, redeemed and restored with all the sin we are carrying wiped away. If you need deliverance from evil, if you need sin taken away, the Lord can do that. Just confess your sins, repent, and the Lord will forgive. Here's how I hope we will be challenged by the word of the Lord this morning. I hope we will be inspired and motivated to be on the lookout for ways in which we can advocate and intercede for those in need this week. And if you don't know where to start, start with intercessory prayer. Pray on behalf of someone else. And, and we're going to do this in just a moment. As we're we're going to close in prayer in just a moment. And I don't want you to pray for yourself. Okay, that sounds weird. If you need prayer for yourself, man, do it. If you need to deal with sin, deal with sin. If you need to deal with, if you're struggling, go to the Lord. He will hear. He will receive it. And he will act on it.
but I also would like to challenge us today and the days and the weeks moving forward. Who in your mind, in your prayers, who, who needs that prayer? Who needs the Lord's attention on their life? Do you have someone in your mind? And ask the Lord to expand your vision beyond your own life, beyond what you experience yourself. And instead, ask the Lord to see the world through the eyes of someone else. See someone who needs intercession and needs someone to advocate for them. We have examples in our world today when a Boy Scout helps an elderly person across the street. Well, that's interceding. That's stepping in to help. When a person of, uh, of wealth or power speaks up at a meeting of city leaders in favor of action that will help the poor, that's advocacy. And what might that look like for you and your world this week? Let's ask the Lord to help us be aware of ways in which we can advocate and intercede. You bow your heads with me. Lord, we come to you this morning and now we're not praying for ourselves. And I would say, Lord, we don't even want to focus on the people in this building. We are here to pray for those who otherwise may not be prayed for. That we're calling out in, in a way of interceding for others, Lord. There's many names being lifted up right now, Lord. In this room, we are lifting up these names. We're giving these people to you, Lord. Would you please intercede in their lives? And where there are obstacles, be it a, a crowd or, or something stronger or darker, Lord, give us the strength and power and motivation to just bust through whatever obstacle may be, not for our own benefit, but on behalf of of someone who needs intercession, who needs your grace and your love. They need their sins forgiven. Lord, we can't do that on our own. We don't have that power. But Lord, would you give us the strength and motivation to bust through whatever roadblock there is as we maybe even drag someone into your presence, Lord. And if we do that, Lord, and if we drag them and we drop them right here and you have not moved or it is not your timing or your spirit is not here, that will fail and that will look weird, Lord. But we call on you to move. We take the risk today, Lord, as we bring these people to you, these loved ones to you, Lord. We lay them before you. We can go no further. We cannot forgive we, we, we cannot forgive sins. We cannot make the unclean clean. But you can. And so we're, this week, Lord, we'll, we're gonna be down on our knees. We're gonna be relentless, consistent. You're gonna hear about these people time and time again, Lord. And we beg of you, not out of your obligation to us, but out of your grace and goodness and mercy, Lord. We bring the loss to you. Would you convict? Would you save? Would you fill with your grace, Lord? Would you forgive sins and make them clean? And then may we, who have already received your grace, Lord, may we live graciously towards those who have newly found your grace. What a picture of your kingdom, Father. We love you and we thank you that we get to be a part of that. Even if it means taking risk. 
Allow us to be so bold today, Lord. We love you when we pray all these things. In your precious name today, amen.